All right, welcome in episode 150 of the Hot Crits Podcast. I'm Travis Jadon. We're going to get rolling today. We got a Kyle Sandy interview at the back end of the episode previewing the state basketball playoffs for high school boys basketball. couple of uh, state title contenders here in the Savannah area. So Kyle and I talked for about 25 minutes at the back end of the episode. But first, I'm going to talk a little Tiger Woods and tampons. Yeah, I said that. Mac McClung saving the dunk contest, uh, a local segment with some interesting athletic director quotes, and of course, the HGP celebrity death of the week. All right, let's get after it for a 150th time, Hot Crits Podcast. I hate LeBron James. When God created Adam and Eve, the next thing he did was yell at the referee. But first, some sports. All right, welcome in episode 150. Uh, let's get right to it today. Our guy, Tiger Woods, back in action over the weekend. Uh, the story I'm going to talk to you guys about is not about his performance. Uh, the 47-year-old big cat. Shot one under, finished tied 45th at the Genesis Open. John Rahm won 16 strokes clear of Tiger Woods. But obviously it was our guy Tiger making the headlines this weekend. And it was not for something that you would expect. Although it's not too surprising with Tiger Woods. Like Every time you think you've seen it all with this guy, something else happens. Um and now he's battle. It's Tiger versus the tampon. That's what it is. It's been Tiger versus uh, his wife. It's been Tiger versus the media. Tiger versus pills. Tiger versus his knee. Tiger versus car crashes. Uh, and now Tiger versus tampons. On Saturday, I cannot believe this. On Saturday, Tiger Woods uh, was... Seen on Twitter, I think is where it first surfaced, a photo of him giving a tampon to playing partner and good friend Justin Thomas. Ever heard of him? Pretty good golfer. After he outdrove Thomas, after Tiger outdrove Thomas on one of the holes, uh, there's a photo and a zoomed in photo of Tiger Woods walking up uh, as they're, you know, walking from the tee box to the fairway. He slips Justin Thomas a tampon in his hand as if to say, I guess like, you know, take that you little girl or something uh, is the way I took it. When I saw it, I thought it was kind of funny, but I think I was in the minority because apparently this was the greatest offense to women since, um, since R Kelly, probably Uh, here is uh, this incident from Tiger Woods absolutely ruined the lives of many, many a female columnist. None more so than Christine Brennan from the USA Today. Let me read you some of what Miss Brennan wrote. 
the headline, really, Tiger, you're a 47-year-old, quote, girl dad, but thought your tampon stunt would be funny, question mark? Brilliant stuff already. Uh, quote, Tiger Woods, the father of a sports-playing teenage daughter, was photographed on Thursday giving his playing partner Justin Thomas a tampon after Woods outdrove him in the first round of the PGA Tour event. He was replicating an old prank that immature schoolboys used to think was funny. I can't believe I just wrote that sentence in 2023. Woods' message to Thomas was obvious. It has been the go-to line of silly, often insecure boys for generations. You play like a girl. Really, Tiger? What a bizarre thing for a girl dad to do. I'm guessing most of the millions of fathers and mothers who support their athletic daughters probably have long since retired all their juvenile pranks. But not our Tiger. He employed basic misogyny to insult his good friend Thomas, a knee slapper of a dig, against female athletes. You hit the ball like a girl. End quote. Holy shit, man. Is this what it's come to? He can't give Justin Thomas a tampon? Like, by doing that, Tiger Woods said so many things, according to Christine Brennan. He made so many statements with his prank. I don't understand why him pranking Justin Thomas has to be made into all these kinds of statements. Now, I get it. I get it. If anyone gets it, I get it. I get what... Christine Brennan's job is. I get what other golf columnists' job is. Like, it was a viral moment with the most famous golfer in the history of the sport in his first return to the PGA Tour in shit since the Open last year. So, since like summer of last year. So, I get what they're trying to do. They have to write about it, they have to have a take. But Christine Brennan went above and beyond. She referenced things like Title IX. She referenced things like the millions of women who are now going to be attracted to play other sports so they don't have to deal with the childish, quote, immature pranks like Woods pulled Thursday. What? So now Tiger Woods is forcing women out of the game of golf? Listen, I'm a big cat guy. I love Tiger Woods. Okay? Hand up. No secret there. But if we want to talk about Tiger Woods' offenses against the female gender, this, this act would be way down the list, Christine Brennan. You know? I mean, it's been well documented at this point, Tiger's treatment of women. This is what you choose to, to die on? Like you're going to die on this hill, the tampon hill? You don't want to die on any hill. I've always said that. Hills are overrated places to die on, but you definitely don't want to die on Tampon Hill. Unreal. The end of Christine Brennan's column. Here's what it said. Quote, I was wondering what Tiger was up to. So I sent a text Thursday night to his agent, Mark Steinberg. Can you confirm that Tiger gave Justin Thomas a tampon when he outdrove him today? See below. I included a tweet with a couple of photos of the alleged incident. It's hardly the biggest issue on earth, I continued to Steinberg, but it's getting a lot of play on social media tonight and I want to get it right. 
If he did, why exactly did Tiger do that? Please tell me it's not because he wants to send the message that Justin played like a girl. Is Tiger comfortable sending that message to girls and women in 2023? I went to high school with some boys who did those kinds of things 30 to 5 to 40 years ago. Why did Tiger do it today? Thanks. Steinberg never replied. And that's the end of the column. Uh, no shit he never replied. Any dude with half a brain knows when that kind of text comes through, you don't answer that one. Not when they start referencing the dudes in high school that used to bully him. Those are red flags, Miss Brennan. And that's not a tampon pun. Red flags. Tampons. Tiger Woods. The big cat giveth and he taketh away. The walking content machine. I watched all four of his rounds. He looked definitely rusty. I mean, the fact that he was 16 strokes behind the leader, kind of a uh, telling sign. But he looked healthier walking around the course. I'll say that. He didn't look like an old bag like he had before where he was having trouble bending down and getting out of bunkers. Save your strength for the majors, Tiger. And for Miss Brennan. You might need to fight her off. Don't fight her, actually. Don't do that. Uh, Speaking of golf, Full Swing on Netflix, the long-awaited Netflix series. I've watched all eight episodes. I'm not going to do a, uh, you know, uh, cinematic review here. But I'll just say this for people that haven't seen it. If you're a golf uh, wacko like me, there are things you have to wade through. Like at one point in one of the episodes, they take like 30 seconds to explain what a par is. And like what what the difference between a regular tournament and a major is. They do that kind of stuff. So you have to wade through kind of some of the basic stuff because they're trying to do what Formula One did with Drive to Survive. They're trying to bring in that crowd, that fan base on Netflix that's not already golf enthusiasts. But I'll, you know, after watching all eight episodes, I heard things, saw things, and learned things that had already happened. Uh, but I heard things and had vantage points that I didn't know before. So it's worth watching. Like you do find out things that you didn't know before. And that's what all always what I'm looking for um, in these kinds of things. So I definitely uh, recommend it. Let's see. Let's give it a grade out of 10.0. I'm going to give it 8.27, which is a nice score. A good solid B. A par, if you will. Golf. Breaking records. Lady and Sons. 102 West Congress Street, a sponsor here on the Hot Grits podcast, breaking records since the day they opened. Seven days a week, 11 a.m. they open, right there at 102 West Congress. Lady and Sons, find them on Facebook and ladyandsons.com. Go down there and check them out and then check out the store right down the block, literally like 20 feet away from the front door of Lady and Sons is the Paula Dean shop. Uh, go say hey to Jamie Dean my adult league softball pitcher, a Hall of Fame caliber pitcher, um, and Hall of Fame caliber food at Lady and Sons. 912-233-2600. 912-233-2600. If you want to call ahead with your order or 
uh, just learn more information, check them out on Facebook, ladyandsons.com, 102 West Congress Street. If you go, tell them the Hot Grits podcast sent you. They'll hook it up for you. Did you guys see Mac McClung in the dunk contest? Did you see my guy, Mac? What a night it was for him. The Great White Hope. Mac McClung finished the dunk contest with three straight 50 of 50 dunks. Um, probably, I haven't seen the the TV ratings yet, but I would assume it's probably the highest rated dunk contest in many, 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 many years. He went instantly viral. People that have been on YouTube and social media and stuff in the last five, six, seven years know who Mac McClung is. He was already like a YouTube sensation when he went to Georgetown out of high school. Um, but the fact that he won the dunk contest as a G leaguer, he was the first G league member, which for those not familiar, essentially the minor leagues of the NBA, um, first G leaguer to ever participate in the dunk contest. And then he won the damn thing with three straight perfect scores. And if you watched, you know, Carl Malone wasn't giving out perfect scores. Rough weekend for Carl Malone. Don't want to delve into that. Maybe we can get Christine Brennan to write a column about Carl Malone's offenses to the female race. If you didn't see that news, go ahead and check that out. Give yourself a a chance to Google Carl Malone um, and it'll be right there. Right there at the top, Carl Malone. Even he was giving out 50s to Mac. A legend walks amongst us, folks. The first... Uh, by my amateur research, you're the first white player to win the dunk contest since 1996. And that was one of the uh, the Berries. I think it was Brent Berry. And I didn't even look him up. I saw the last name Berry. Figured, okay, Rick Berry. This is probably a white guy. You know, the granny free throws. But look, if I didn't know a thing about basketball, didn't know who the Berries were. When you see the name Brent Berry, you know he's a white guy. Mac McClung? I don't know. That name could go either way, and those hops certainly weren't white boy regular. I guess white guys can jump. I guess white men can jump. Who knew? Return of the Mac. All right, a couple more things before we get you guys to my interview with Kyle Sandy. We're going to preview the Georgia high school basketball state playoffs here. It's a good interview. You're going to want to stick around for it, um, talk about some bigger picture stuff. But we also hit on every Savannah high school basketball team, uh, including including our favorite here on the Hot Reds podcast, the Benedictine Cadets. Can't wait. Um, but before we get to that, I wanted to – I wanted to talk about what happened uh, over this past week during the Region 3-3A basketball tournament, uh, which, you know, by all accounts went off pretty smoothly at, at Calvary for the semifinals and finals. But leading up to the tournament, there was talk about, uh, you know, and there was reporting done by Joey Lamar at WSAV about uh, an email sent from Calvary Athletic Director Sean Hardy to the athletic directors throughout Region 33A with three requests, basically, um, for the tournament to swap the game times on Saturday. 
to have the girls championship game as the final game and the boys championship game to be played at 4.30 p.m. A boys championship game that featured the number one team in the state, by the way. In that tiny little baby gym over at Calvary. Never forget that Calvary has always had that dump of a gym and they actually built a brand new practice gym. Probably over 10 years ago now. But that gym that they play their games in was a dump then. Then they built a brand new practice gym. And now that thing's over 10 years old. And that and guess what? The place that was a dump is still a dump. And it's still tiny. It's still a little band box. If you could go through every gym in this city and pick and rank them in order of best venue to host a, a region tournament and worst venue to host a region tournament. Let's call it 20 high school gyms in the city. Calvary would probably be in the 17 to 20 range. One of the other gyms that would be probably 19 or 20, just ahead of playing uh, you know, at Lake Mare or Gaffin Park, the last gym on that list would likely be St. Vincent's Academy. Do you know what they did with this Region 3-3A tournament. The first round and the second round games were played at gyms across the region, so predetermined gyms. And the Savannah Christian and Savannah Country Day boys, which that basketball matchup has produced quite a bit of content on this podcast before. So I'm not hating on that matchup at all. But I am hating on the fact that they played their first round game at St. Vincent's Academy. Two boys teams, neither one Benedictine, definitely neither one St. Vincent's, played a first-round region tournament basketball game at St. Vincent's Academy, which that gym seats approximately 17 people. Does that make any sense at all? Um, Of course it doesn't. Of course it doesn't make any sense. But does that matter? No, but leading up to the tournament, there were concerns about the size at Calvary, the size at St. Vincent's, you know, the, just the general readiness of the tournament. And so I reached out to the region secretary, the region leader, basically, which is the athletic director at St. Vincent's. You go to the person in charge, right? Well, that's what I did. That's what I did. Mrs. Nichols St. Louis is her name. She's the Region 3-3A secretary. A story on a local sports website, which I don't know if I'm legally allowed to name. After I tweeted several things, basically wondering why in the world this was going on. Why were so many requests being made to alter the game times for safety reasons, uh, for concerns about uh, capacity security, all this stuff. I reached out. I emailed Miss St. Louis asking for clarity before the brackets ever came out. Two days before. Okay? No response. 24 hours later, no response still. I emailed her again. No response. To this moment, still no response. Not even after the tournament was done, she couldn't respond. But she had gave this quote to a local sports website. 
quote, it is our region's priority to provide a competitive and safe tournament to allow the student athletes a place to showcase their skills and have the best experience possible. It is my hope that if anyone has questions regarding the format, they reach out to me directly, end quote. Okay, if anyone has questions regarding the format, they reach out to me directly. Mrs. St. Louis, I reached out to you directly. Twice. You didn't respond. You still haven't even graced me with the courtesy of a response. So when it is, quote, your hope that if anyone has questions regarding the format, you mean like me? That they would reach out to you directly? I did that. You didn't respond. Twice. That's really all I need to see. You're not interested in clarity. You're interested in giving your quote to someone that's willing to play ball. I get it. I get it, Miss St. Louis. I get it. Email replies are, after all, extremely difficult for a region secretary in Georgia high school athletics. Probably right behind the president of the United States in terms of most stressful jobs on earth. On this same sports website, it said, quote, the logistics and planning of the tournament were planned and voted on by coaches and athletic directors in the winter spring planning meeting in early 2022. At this meeting, coaches and ADs determined the girls' side would host in 23 and the boys' side would host in 24. Let's stop right there for a second. We know that before all of this, that it was decided the girls' region regular season winner would host the Region 3-3A tournament. Duh, we know that. We know that was voted on. The changes that were requested in the final hour were not voted on. They were not voted on. In quote, the winter spring planning meeting in early 2022. That is an outright I don't want to say lie. Let's just call it that is objectively not true. Incorrect. Remember, the three last-minute requests were flip-flop the game times for Saturday's finals to where Johnson and potentially at that time, people thought Beach wouldn't be playing in Calvary's gym when Calvary wasn't even going to have a team playing. If Calvary was going to host even though they're not the region secretary, the St. Vincent's AD is, if Calvary was going to host, they were going to have their girls play the late game. And unlike what Miss St. Louis said, it wasn't, quote, for the students to have the best experience possible. Otherwise, Calvary wouldn't have emptied the gym after every game so they could collect their nut on every single game. You wonder why they didn't move it from their gym. They're not missing out on all that money. All that quiche. Emptied out the gym. And if you want to come in for the next game, you got to walk your ass back in. Best experience possible. Who are you trying to fool? The story goes on. Other details voted on were the format, the suggested game times, tiebreaker procedures, and many other important decisions to help guide the region. Again, I'll just clarify right now. Suggested game times were not voted on. I don't even know how you could vote on something that's suggested. 
Okay, otherwise, the email from Sean Hardy, which you can find on my Twitter, even though Miss St. Louis probably doesn't like it, you can find it on my Twitter, that the email sent out was requesting changes. Changes means it wasn't voted on before that. Otherwise, they wouldn't be changes. Duh. Jesus Christ. Just the simplest things. And it doesn't matter. The tournament went fine. But I mean, my God. The headline for that story was, what's really going on with Region 3-3A basketball tournament? Really, in all caps. Well, you got about half of it right. Which is solid. I guess. HGP, Celebrity Death of the Week. This was a tough one, folks. Now, an all-timer, Tim McCarver, died. Tim McCarver, famous St. Louis catcher. When I think Tim McCarver, I think... First things I think about. Catcher for the Cardinals. Catcher for Bob Gibson which I know is the same thing, but I just always pair Tim McCarver with Bob Gibson. And then, obviously, the play-by-play man alongside Joe Buck, alongside others, too, before that. But for my time coming up, Tim McCarver and Joe Buck were pretty much the voice of the World Series. You know, for, shit, probably like a decade there. So Timmy McCarver nominated for HCP CDOTW, uh, Hall of Famer, but this would really be a great way to send him out. But he's got stiff competition. President Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. The peanut farmer from Georgia. Georgia's still the only president from the state of Georgia. Uh, big politics guy. You guys know that. Big history guy. Jimmy Carter's about to die. He's in hospice. And as I record this on Monday evening... I don't think this man has died yet, but damn it, if he dies Tuesday when this episode comes out and I don't give the HGP CDOTW to a former president and Georgia's only president ever, then this award is in serious jeopardy. The credibility of HGP CDOTW is at stake here, folks. So here's what I'm going to do. Tim McCarver wins the HGP Celebrity Death of the Week. That's it. My decision is final. Pending Jimmy Carter. If old Jimmy can make it through to next episode, to 151, that would be so sweet. I believe you can do it. I do not have a crisis of confidence in you, President Carter. Good luck and congrats to Timmy McCarver, dead and also winner of HGP Celebrity Death of the Week. All right. Ad from Anchor, and then my interview with Kyle Sandy. Talk to you guys next week on 151. Stay safe. Wash your hands, you filthy animals. All right, we got Kyle Sandy back with us to preview the GHSA Boys State Basketball Playoffs. Kyle is the authority figure on high school hoops here in the Peach State. Uh, He's been on here before. We previewed... A lot of the Savannah storylines coming into the season and now with the state playoffs beginning this week around the state uh, and a lot of our area teams, we want to have Kyle back on to help preview the tournament. But Kyle's already done two full episodes previewing every girls game and every boys game 
for the state basketball playoffs. You can find that spieling and dealing uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Um, Kyle, how how you feeling after recording those two episodes, man? <laughs> Travis, I feel okay. I'm surprised. I feel okay. My throat was going uh, last night when I was re- recording the the vast majority of the girls' podcast, but I think I was able to power through for the boys today. And uh, you know, it, it needed to be done. We got these darn state tournament games starting just tomorrow, so it, it was either now or never. But I do feel good. I'm in I'm in high spirits, and I, I appreciate you having me on to talk more basketball. Okay, well, look, I want to get into the hoops, but just out of my curiosity, um, and again, like if you're a, te- a fan of a Savannah area team and they're about to play an opponent that you probably don't know much about, that is the podcast to go listen to. Uh, Kyle's got the minute marks there so you can go to the classification you want um, and kind of hear his thoughts on it. But Kyle, I wanted to ask you, like logistically, when you record those, do you like do you do that all in one sitting or or do you like take a couple minutes between classes and then kind of edit out the like the space yeah that's a good question so i i use that anchor podcasting system so it's pretty simple so when i do it it's just one classification at a time uh, otherwise it's i mean it's already tough enough when i'm doing that my voice goes when i do have a, a minute in between to catch my breath and fill out my bracket but it is broken up by classification so i'll do like class 7a record that for 20 30 minutes and then i'll move on to my next bracket i'll fill out my bracket you know write with my pencil and actually literally fill out the bracket and then right once i'm done picking my state championship team then it's all right it's time to go on to class 6a and start doing it that way so i have i don't know five minutes in between but you know that's not that's not a whole lot of time where you got five minutes off and about 35 minutes on and you're doing that about eight times. And then you do that times two when you introduce the girls and the boys. So there's a, a lot of workload to be done. But I'm thankful we're, we're at the mountaintop. Now it's all downhill from here. It's much easier after you get that first round uh, bracketology podcast out of the way. Well, look, I speak for a lot of people when I say we – there are people out there who who really, really, really appreciate the work you do. I know you hear that a lot, but like from someone that ha- – like has at times had to go into the depths of local newspapers just to find out like what a team's record is uh, having like your website and your podcast and all that stuff as a source is absolutely invaluable, especially this time of year. Um, all right, let's talk, let's talk hoops, Kyle. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Savannah teams. Uh, we're talking boys here, boys, hoops, basketball playoffs. Give me one Savannah team that could, uh, I guess go further than most people expect, like a Cinderella type team, and then maybe one team that might be seated as a one seed or a two seed that could get upset earlier than expected. Ooh, that is really putting me on the spot. That is Dude, a what big... a question, right? What a question. I know you're 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 what do they call holding no punches, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> I I think I have an answer as a a Cinderella team. Um, I think Benedictine. I know Region 3 isn't necessarily a, a, a juggernaut region per se, but Benedictine's 15-5. and five. They won that region. They got a um, not a terrible matchup in the first round. Tristan, uh, Trinity Christian's been a, a good program in the past, but they're 14-14. and 14. They're okay. They got Ernesto Almonte is a really good rebounder for them, and Alexis um, Pissis is a good uh, about 6'6 six six sophomore guard that's going to 
uh, be a very hot commodity. But Benedictine, they got that Caleb Jones kid. He shoots the three really well. Um, I'm assuming they have some football players on that roster too. And just looking at that top right-hand quadrant, now I don't know if they're going to make it all the way to the Final Four or anything like that, but if you get past Trinity Christian in the first round, you're seeing either Shaw or Perry in the second round. And if I'm Benedictine, you know, neither of those teams scare me. They're no, those aren't blue blood teams. Those aren't teams that have been sitting in the top 10 all season long. So I think it's uh, a realistic opportunity if Benedictine, with that home court advantage, if they're able to play well, hit some outside shots, I could see them making a run to potentially the Elite Eight. Now, once you get there, it gets tough. You see probably either like a Madison County or a Lovett that has Christian Anderson who's going to Michigan that's averaging over 30 points per game. That's where it gets tricky. But as far as a team that uh, has a chance to potentially make a deep run, I think Benedictine is that team. And on the opposite coin of that, uh, a team that uh, might be in trouble early, uh, I hate to say it, but Beach losing Shamari Huey with him being injured, that really hurts their chances. I know, you know, 22-5, and five, they slipped to that that three seed out of Region uh, 3 in Class 3A. Um, I think they should be in good shape when they play Harlem in that first-round matchup. Uh, but a second-round matchup, a rematch with Doherty, I was at that game. They blew the doors off of Doherty, I think 69-40. to 40. Well, Doherty, uh, one of their starting guards got hurt like the first possession of that game, and it was just all downhill from there. But now Bakari Bryant, he has Doherty playing exceptionally well. Beach has to come down to Doherty, and uh, Doherty's going to be at full strength at this time, and now Beach is missing their star player. It could be, get very tricky for Beach to advance past the Sweet 16, especially seeing a guy like that, Bakari, who always has his teams playing exceptionally well this time of year. Yeah, that's really a bummer for Beach and for, you know, basketball fans in general that you don't get to see Beach at their full strength. Um, and I think, I think I was a little, I don't know if you would agree with this, Kyle. Like I thought Shamari Hugi, obviously MVP of that team, like very important, one of the best players in our area. But I guess I didn't realize how significant the drop off would be without him because I think about like a team like Johnson like you know if they lose Antonio Baker and knock on wood you know if you're an Adam Smasher fan but like if they were to lose Antonio Baker I don't know that the drop-off would be as significant as what we've seen with Beach I don't know if you agree with that at all yeah I understand what you're saying I mean Beach, I don't think they've absolutely fallen off a complete cliff I mean they're still sitting there with just five losses on the season and no uh, Johnson really smashed them good, and then that Long County uh, twice isn't great. But you know they beat Groves in overtime. Groves is still um, not necessarily the 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 most uh, highly touted program as far as like prospects go, but they play extremely hard. So that's still at, at the end of the day a, a good win for them. But yeah, Johnson, um, Antonio Baker, obviously that would that would stink if that ever happened. But Joshua Quarterman moving in, uh, Malachi Robinson is good. They got some other little guards that have been stepping up big time for Johnson. Uh, I, I do think that they would be able to kind of right the ship. But again, I don't think Beach has completely fallen off. It just really hurts as far as looking long term. I think short term, as far as this first round matchup, they should be okay. But long term, if you're trying to win a state championship, yes, you you obviously need your best players available. And with um, Shamari not being able to go, that really does hurt their chances in the you know the next couple weeks or so. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right, well, let's stick right there in three A. Kyle, if I gave you Sandy Creek and Johnson or the field 
in Class 3A to win the state championship, would you take the pair, Johnson and Sandy Creek, or would you take the field? I would take the pair between those two, to be honest with you. I know Cross Creek is scary. They've won back-to-back state titles, um, and they're they're peaking at the right time. But uh, I'm going to be honest with you. That Region 4, again, Cross Creek, they're good. You have to respect them. They're going to win a couple games in this state tournament, and don't be surprised if you see them uh, making it to the Final Four. But their region, they have not been tested in a very long time, this Cross Creek team. Uh, and between Johnson and Sandy Creek, I think um, those two teams have played a lot of really good teams in the non-region schedule. They've handled their business in the region. And just going back to Cross Creek as one of those teams that could be a, a real disruptor as far as trying to uh, screw up Johnson or Sandy Creek making it to the state finals. Uh, Cross Creek, I know it was a long time ago, and these scores, you could throw them out the window, but they lost mm-hmm. by 20 points to Hiram when they played them. And that is a game that I saw when Hiram played Johnson, and Johnson won that game in overtime. Now, that's a whole, you know, light years ago, and who knows if Cross Creek was missing some people or they were still gelling with those transfers that moved in. But if you're a Johnson Adam Smasher fan, you have to feel um, confident in your chances and very confident if you go into battle uh, with Cross Creek. But first, of course, Sandy Creek is a creek you must cross. And um, they've had (laughs) – yeah, how about that? Uh, Sandy Creek has been so good over the past few years, but it's been the same song and dance with them. And I hate to say it, but, like, they got to get the monkey off their back. And, you you know, you had Jabari Smith was a lottery pick, and you had Miles – who was it? Miles Rice went to uh, uh, Washington State, and they still couldn't win a state title with them. And Sandy Creek still has a lot of talent on this roster, but they don't have a freaking lottery pick on the roster this year. So I don't know if it's maybe less pressure is on them this year because it's like, oh, it's Sandy Creek. They're going to win their 25 games, but they're going to choke when it matters most. I don't know if they're going to use that as motivation and get over the hump, but Johnson versus Sandy Creek, if we potentially see that in the Elite Eight. And again, when it comes down to a coin flip, if that game is going to be in Johnson – I think that is going to be a nightmare for Sandy Creek just to face that environment. I think between those two teams, if the game's played at Johnson, Johnson has much better home court advantage than if Johnson has to go to Sandy Creek because Johnson had done that before. When they did play Jabari Smith, they lost that game, but they played them really tight in the state tournament. So Johnson has been to Sandy Creek before. I don't think the Patriots have much experience playing big-time basketball in Savannah. Yeah, there is that always that storyline this time of year. And I, I, I guess this goes for every sport at every level. Um, but there is that argument of, do you want to be kind of rested, healthy, number one seed coming in, but maybe you're not as tested? But yeah, I guess that is the age-old question of being rested versus being tested. Um, you know, and Cross Creek and, and Groves is kind of a good example of that. Yeah, Groves is... Uh... A very scary opponent to play in that first round. You don't want to play anybody from the Savannah area just because you know how tough they're going to be and how battle-tested, especially they are this year, Uh, especially if you're just a four-seed. But you've seen the likes of Johnson and even Calvary Day, who didn't make the state playoffs but was a really tough team, Beach. uh, The list goes on and on and on. And Cross Creek, I, I, I know we've already harped on it, but just looking at this region record, look at the region teams that Cross Creek has played against. They haven't lost since 
January 7th against Dorman, a very good South Carolina team, but they've just been beating up on this region. You got Salem is 11 and 15, Harlem 11 and 8, Hepsiva 10 and 14, Morgan County 10 and 16, uh, Richmond Academy 6 and 16. There is not even another team other than 11 and 8 Harlem that's above 500 in that region. So I think Cross Creek is very, very good, obviously, but Groves, um, Coach Evans has those guys. They play through a brick wall for him. He, they will go all out, and they will make Cross Creek very uncomfortable in that little tiny gym of theirs. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, – I don't know. Cross Creek has not seen an opponent like this in a while, and I think it should be a very fun first-round matchup. Yeah, and I think quickly on Groves, Kevin Evans has done a tremendous job this season. I think, you know, two years ago he takes over and – kind of everyone's pointing to the next year when all those guys are seniors. And then last year, they pretty much make good on that. Uh, they, you know, make a run deep in the state playoffs, and then they lose all those guys. Um, and yet Kevin Evans has found his way back into the top 10, back into your top 10, and then, you know, back into the state playoffs out of a really rough region 3-3A. And I, I think, Kyle, I think you would agree with me on this. Th- those are the types of seasons that kind of, differentiate coaches in high school hoops it's it's sort of what you can do in the in that in-between season or those in-between seasons where you maybe have a guy or two but you don't really have the all-state kind of guy you don't have Gerald Colonel blocking a thousand shots a game um but so I've been really impressed by what Kevin's done over at Groves um this year and, and honestly Kyle like I think we, you and I both would have been shocked to say, you know, three, four weeks ago that Calvary wasn't going to be in the state mm-hmm. playoffs. Um, you know, they had some things kind of break break the wrong way, um, so to speak, against them. But, yeah, really impressive job by Groves. I'm sure you would agree. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, like you said, that really separates um, the good coaches from more so the great coaches. Uh, everyone was expecting Groves to really take a drop off and uh, just – go back to maybe being mediocre, a bit irrelevant, but he maximizes the talent he has. Coach Evans really uh, does a great job with those kids and just his style of play and just the overall toughness, you know, what the standard is uh, to be a rebel and play for that Groves program. And uh, he has really resurrected uh, this this team and this program into becoming one of those really tough teams that nobody wants to play, not in the region schedule, and sure as heck you do not want to play them come February and March. Okay, let's pause for a second and talk about Savannah's number one real estate agent, John Carr. John Carr Real Estate with Seaport Real Estate in Savannah is a sponsor here on the Hot Grits Podcast, and he is your guy if you're looking to buy or sell real estate in the Savannah area. Call him or text him today, 912-228-0916, 912-228-0916, or find John Carr on Facebook if you want to learn more about the real estate market in the area, what your options are. If you want to buy or sell, John can help you out. He's a Savannah native, knows the area like the back of his hand, and he's won like a thousand awards for being such a good real estate agent. Uh, if there was a, a Hot Grits Podcast Real Estate Agent of the Year, John Carr would be three-time champ of that award. So call him, text him today, tell him we sent you. 912-228-0916. 
Kyle, earlier we were talking about Johnson and Sandy Creek. Um, the coin flip, you know, it's an easy thing to make fun of, first off. But, you know, I don't know. Do you have, like, a better idea as to how it could be done um, in terms of, like, two one-seeds meeting in the Elite Eight of any bracket in any sport? Like, I mean, are you okay with the coin flips as of now, or do you have a better idea for that? Uh, I usually don't. Um, complain about too much. I understand it. It stinks, but I'm more of a, I just go with the flow. If it is what it is, there's no use crying over spilled milk. It's like when you commit a foul and then you complain to the ref, that wasn't a foul. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Never mind. Uh, I'm going to take back the whistle. No foul, no foul. So yeah. you just got to, you got to play with what you're dealt with. But yeah, I mean, some people, they would kind of like for it to go to, I know back in the day, I believe they, they went to a neutral site uh, dating as far back as to the elite eight, uh, instead of just the final four, so you could you know move it back around to where when you would see like seated teams playing against each other, that would be the only uh, you know feasible option I would think. Uh, but then again, you know it's probably hard enough to lock down these college facilities um, for these you know this what the two day span and get all those spots in in order. And now you're asking to do that for what two weeks in a row as far as doing it. It yeah. gets difficult and challenging, and you got to think about the logistics and everything. And you know the GHSA, I'm sure they're they're doing the best they can, um, but still they got to you know crunch the numbers and make sure it all fits into their bottom line. But yeah, other than the coin flip right now, I just I don't foresee anything other than that, uh, unless they did go back to playing games at a neutral site, which would be a whole nother can of worms to open up. Yeah, and don't get me started on the venues. For the semifinals this year, I mean, the the way that these venues are selected is, you know, a little more, uh, a little more complicated than what most people believe. But but the fact that places like Valdosta, Fort Valley, um, you know, even Carrollton, like, like, I feel like we got to have at least one of these eight sites every year in Savannah or at least in Brunswick, Hinesville, somewhere in, in that area. Because like, if this were the state football playoffs, I can understand Valdosta. But the mm-hmm. fact is that like, that's not a hoops hotbed. Um, and, and there's plenty of places in this area, but, but again, I don't know if that's on the city of Savannah or on the GHSA. And I know those things are decided um, kind of a long way out, but Kyle, I will say this, uh, did you see all of the uproar about the football uh, venue, about how they're getting Mercedes-Benz, the state championship football games, um, out of their stadium contract with Georgia State, and they moved it, and, and that was such a huge deal. But, you know, no one seems to care that Macon Centerplex has hosted state title games recently. Uh, sometimes the rims are 10 feet tall, sometimes they're not. Um, you know, none of that stuff gets factored in when it comes to basketball, but they'll, they'll move heaven and earth to appease the football folks. I always find that funny in this state. Yeah, you're, you're right about that. That is quite curious how that, that seems to always, uh, happen in football, uh, seemingly always gets what they want. Yeah. Basketball. We, we, we had it moved out for what a year or two, Georgia and Georgia tech. And I thought, you know, Georgia tech was a, a legendary, uh, venue when you had ups and Lee versus St. Pius and literally sold out the arena. Like yeah. that was what the atmosphere needs to be. I mean, we play these games in the making centerplex and there'll be seven, a state championship. You'll have 
Norcross played Berkmar, you know, juggernaut teams. You got future NBA guys there, and the stadium will be 60% full. You know, it's it's nowhere near filling up the uh, the crowd like the 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 most um, most full fan bases the in the in the stadium uh, that you see are usually like those class A public games where you had like Hancock yeah. or Wilkinson and the small schools. So the whole town will be there. But when you always have Cobb County teams and Gwinnett County teams playing for these state championships and other teams from far, far away, like they just can't get there, especially when you consider some of these games are being played uh, in the middle of the week on a Wednesday, on a Thursday, people have work, they can't get out there. And it, it, it kind of dampens uh, the atmosphere of what you would expect from such a great state. I mean, Georgia, we're so good, boys and girls. Um, and then we play not in Atlanta, but we play in Macon. And then we have uh, half-empty arenas. It's uh, It kind of stinks as far as the optics go. Plus, you got to wear like three pairs of socks right there on press row, right? You are 100% correct. I learned that the hard way many years ago. And I, I, I always make sure to buy some wool socks before I go down to Macon. You are 100% correct. Making mayhem, always ruining everything with that freaking hockey court. Yeah, hockey and, and that trusty Wi-Fi signal. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a. Uh, it comes and goes. I think. I mean, they've been they've been better since the debacle when they initially came back. But uh, still, you never know what you're going to get. The one year it was too much condensation and everyone was slipping on the floor. Oh my and God. this and the other. But last year, knock on wood, last year I felt like everything went pretty smoothly from what I remember. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, all right, Kyle, a couple more for you. Let's jump to 2A and Class A, D1. Um, Windsor Forest is a team this year that, like, everyone in Savannah has said all year long, okay, Windsor Forest is kind of nice. They're probably a top eight team, top six team maybe. But they're kind of – I mean, they've been slept on legitimately from start to finish down here in this area – and it's not for people disrespecting them. It's I think it's for two reasons. A, what's happening in 3-3A with Johnson, Beach, Calvary for a minute, uh, Groves, obviously. Um, all those teams kind of took away from their shine. And then also is the fact that a lot of their game, most of their games are not uh, broadcast on NFHS. So unless you're there, it's tough to really watch them. But from what you know about Windsor Forest, um, like they've been right there in the middle of your rankings all year in Class Two A. Um, is this a team that has like a Final Four ceiling in your opinion? Uh, before I answer that, I I, I think another reason uh, why they might not be getting as much love down there is because they're moved out of the region. Like they're yeah. playing all these, they're playing Tattnall, they're playing Brantley, they're playing Tombs. So that really. That really hurts. You don't have as many packed houses as far as crosstown rivalries go, and that that was really um, crazy to see them. You know, be like the the redheaded stepchild that got the boot and dropped down a classification. You forget all about them, and like, oh, they were playing for a state title just the other year. Um, but as far as what they can do this year, uh, like you mentioned, I think they're 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 a good team. I, I caught a little bit of their game against Beach, um, just the first half or so. Uh, you know, they're impressive. Karan Anderson obviously is a, a really fun player to watch, super athletic, um, can get everybody engaged in the game once he starts getting downhill. And then Larry Pounds, of course, is a, a, a capable shooter on the perimeter. Um, just looking at what that region is, I mean, they, they got that 
that that one seed, which is what they wanted. But the only problem here is they're hooking up with Region 4, and Region 4 is a gauntlet. All those teams coming out of that CSRA Augusta area. So they had to play Thompson in the first round, which obviously those two teams played each other in the Final Four a season ago. So uh, Thompson has some unfinished business with Windsor Force. They lost by seven points, so they're very familiar with each other. Thompson has everybody back from last year's team. Obviously, Windsor uh, lost some key pieces, Deontay Bass, namely. Um, it's going to be tough. Now, if they if they get past Thompson in the first round, you are looking at, um, I want to say, a pretty smooth sailing to the Elite Eight. Now, once you get to the Elite Eight, that's where it gets tough again. You're probably going to see either Drew Charter or Columbia, and both those teams play each other in a 1-4 matchup in the first round as well. So this top right-hand quadrant, you got Thompson and Windsor Forest, two top 10 teams playing in the first round. You got Drew Charter versus Columbia, two top 10 teams playing in the first round. And then everyone else, you know, Murray County, Union County, Central Macon, Fitzgerald. I mean, heck, Fitzgerald and Central Macon, they both have losing records. So the winner of that Thompson-Windsor Forest game um, is going to be a heavy favorite in round two. Uh, but, it, it, you know, it, it gets tough after you get to the Elite Eight because Columbia's got some size inside. they got yeah. some really athletic guards. Um, but if you get past Thompson, you have a chance to win at least one more game. And then you roll the dice and see what happens uh, once you play a team like possibly Columbia. Yeah, I don't think I fully appreciated the the levels to this top right side of the quadrant of the uh, Class 2A bracket. I mean, they, yeah, there's some household names in there, sort of some blue bloods in there and, and people with some pedigree. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. They have an interesting road because, yeah, like Thompson might be – that might be the biggest question mark of them all that first round game. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, again, that's sort of the benefit of how this works out in this system, in this format that winning your region sort of gives you that leg up regardless of overall record or, you know, what people may think of you. Um, All right, Kyle, let's jump down to class A D one and then I'll let you go. I know, I know your vocal cords need a break. uh, So we appreciate it. Um, Savannah high has been a really, you know, I think positive story for, you know, objectively good for Savannah basketball, that the high is back to its winning ways. Um, How important is it to you, like in terms of how you view Savannah High's season this year, um, that they win a game and sort of at least get to the second round of the state playoffs? Because the fact that they've had such a good year, but that they are clearly not as good as Woodville Tompkins. Like I, I think mm-hmm. objectively just looking at their head to head matchups that that just doesn't go their way. Um, and so if they lose this first round game, it just feels like maybe, you know, maybe it's just not as positive as of a season as it, as it probably should be. Is that overstating it? You think? No, I, I agree with you. And like you said about Woodville, other than this region championship game where I believe it was 58-50, they, they made it closer. I mean, they got absolutely destroyed by Woodville. Just picked apart 71-48 in their second matchup. And in that first game they played against each other, it was 69-42. So, like, they – I don't know what the situation is. Obviously, I wasn't there to watch those games, but they, they couldn't sniff – uh, Woodville Tompkins until that 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 region championship game but yes I think it would be an unmitigated disaster if they lose to Crawford County in the first round Crawford County is eight and 19 they're coming out of region four which is uh you know it's not a very good region uh, whatsoever when you talk about basketball it's just in a, a little small part of the state on that west side 
of town and it's just it's 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 something that they should handle and remember that region four there's only four teams in that region so Crawford County did not have to earn their way into the state playoffs if they just fielded the team from the opening tip hey you're in the state playoffs they have done really nothing to earn their way in here other than you know I guess they did beat Lamar County to get the three seed but Savannah this is a game that they have to win I fully expect them to win um they're much better than Crawford County. And, you know, once you take care of business in this first round, then you roll the dice and you see what happens with Swainsboro, a team that's going to be loaded with football players, a team that doesn't have a sparkling record either. I mean, Swainsboro is only 12 and 9. Uh, you expect them to beat Bacon County, who's 6 and 15. Notice the trend of all these sparkling records we have with all these teams making the state playoffs. Yeah. So Savannah should be in good shape. And I mean, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if they're able to manufacture a run to the Elite Eight. Um, all right, let's wrap up with Woodville. Uh, Lenny Williams, just, you know, another year, another state playoff berth, another coach of the year in the region, another region title. Ho-hum. Uh, they just keep rolling over there, it seems like. I, I don't know, Kyle, if I'm a prisoner of the moment, but the way Alfonso Ross has been playing, um, it's it sort of reminds me a little of Amandre Bowles and just his ability to kind of take his team for three to four to five minutes in a row and, and kind of just do it all himself. Um, and Lenny Williams is better than anyone, I think, right now in terms of figuring out what's working at the exact moment and then implementing that immediately um, until it's not working anymore. And so it seems like the, that player and coach are a perfect match. Um, what what about Woodville? Like, Do you see them? Because it seems like that you know, I like them in the first round. And then it seems like if everything goes chalk, that they should be favored up until the Elite Eight and even then maybe up until the Final Four. Do you, do you see them having a potential deep run behind Alfonso Ross? Uh, I, I do see them having a potential to win a handful of games in the state tournament. Now, Class A, Division One, all season long, it's been Region 6, Region 6, Region 6, all the private schools. And that's what I – I feared coming into this season when you look at, well, you got all these private schools coming in here now playing with these public schools and boy, oh boy, would that look bad for the GHSA if just every single private school that's yeah, mixed you them called that preseason. Yeah. If they just go and just smack everyone, that's going to look really, really bad. Like we're going backwards as far as competition should be going. And obviously we, we look at the, the top four heading into the state tournament. They're all four teams from that region six, but back to Woodville. Yeah. I think they do have a really good opportunity again to at least make it to that elite eight round. I see them taking care of Lamar County in round one, and then, you know, probably play East Lawrence in round two, who has a, a pretty good sophomore guard averaging 16 points per game, but Woodville has been tough. You know, Lenny, he always schedules a uh, really good, non-region opponents that are very strong and helps him uh, prepare for state title runs. Uh, and if they run into Kings Ridge and, you know, I'm not even going to say it's a hundred percent going to be Kings Ridge because I think Kings Ridge is going to have their hands full with social circle in round one, but uh, yeah, that might do, be one of the better round one matchups in, in any exactly. bracket, right? Exactly. Yeah. Kings Ridge ended the season. Number four, social circle, number five, um, just that athleticism, the toughness, like Social Circle has a little bit of Savannah in them that they are going to play with a chip on their shoulder. They have something to prove, and they got some really good Ooh, scores. Yeah, okay. I like that. Yeah, they're 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 tough. So I, I think they 
social circle could out physical Kings Ridge and make them uncomfortable. But if Kings Ridge is able to just handle their stuff and breathe and live in the moment, you know, that's a team that played for a state title last year. I know they're the four seed now. Everything's changed, but Kings Ridge is still really good. They're super well balanced, a very experienced team. They got a six foot 10 a transfer from Frederica Academy and William Job that can step outside and shoot threes. But Woodville, if they do see Kings Ridge, um, they have an opportunity. Again, coin flip. If you can make them come to your place and play in Savannah, Savannah is not an easy place to play at, especially you got to think about it. How many gyms have Kings Ridge been in in a, in a raucous environment far away from home when they're a private school and everything is you know really cozy and right next to each other? That is a different animal, especially when you go to these places that are about four or five hours away and the entire city's out there supporting the other team, it gets really tough. So again, I don't always want to say coin flip, coin flip, coin flip, but uh, Woodville Tompkins, uh, that would be huge. And actually, as as I say that, I realize, oh, Kings Ridge is the four seed. So if Kings Ridge does advance, they're going to Savannah no matter what if Woodville Tompkins is still alive. So that is something to be very stoked about if you're Lenny Williams. Obviously, you take it one game at a time, but you tell everybody, come on, baby, come on over to Woodville Tompkins and see what Savannah basketball is all about. I love it. All right, there it is. God's gift to Georgia high school basketball. Kyle Sandy, sandyspiel.com. Uh, check out the podcast, Bracketology for Girls and Boys, Spielin' and Dealin', anywhere you get your podcasts, uh, including wherever you're listening to this. Kyle, I really appreciate it, my man. Thank you, Travis. Always fun talking hoops with you.
Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players, full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the Academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy, give him a call, 912-484-5282.